All right. Well, today we're continuing our series, Jesus and the Psalms. One of the things that I believe to be true about the Bible is the Bible really serves as a compass. Just like a compass always points north, every page of Scripture ultimately is pointing us to Jesus. And so sometimes, especially if you're new to faith, new to Christianity, you get through the Old Testament. I remember when I came to faith, I was thinking, hey, the God of the Old Testament seems way different than the God of the New Testament. So it's important for series like this, Jesus and the Psalms, for us to understand how we can experience Christ in the Old Testament as we do in the New Testament. So we're doing that this morning, but we want to welcome back Pastor Doug. Uh, He served here faithfully for many, many years, and we're grateful to have him. Thanks so much. Good to be here again. Uh, Great day. Great weather we've been having, isn't it? I know we could use a little bit of rain, but uh, if you want hot and humid, come to Charleston. That's hot and humid, so good to be with you all. Today we are jumping right back into Jesus in the Psalms, and today I want to look at Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is what they call the royal psalm. R-O-Y-A-L, royal psalm. They called a number of the psalms royal psalms because they had to do with the king. So whenever the psalm had a lot to do with the king, they would refer to it as a royal psalm. Um, This one in particular is interesting because it was written by David. It was written about a thousand years before Christ. And it was probably what they would call coronation psalms. So in other words, when the king was coronated, when the king was installed, they would sing this song about the king. So it's fascinating. Now in the psalm, we're going to have two different groups that I want us to pay attention to. One, there's going to be the nations. So the nations of the world are mentioned. And so I'm going to use this chain to refer to the nations for reasons that will become obvious. And then secondly, uh, the psalm refers to the king itself. And uh, I try to think of what's a good symbol for the king. And based on the text as it flows, based on the song as it unfolds, I'm going to use a sledgehammer. So um, we're going to see that as kind of a symbol for the king this morning. So we're going to have the nations, then we're going to talk about the king, then we're going to talk about the nations again. Now, this is what we're going to do. When we go through the psalm, when you get to the end of it, we're going to see that some people think that this psalm refers to Jesus. And if this psalm refers to Jesus, it raises some very, very interesting questions. And if we can figure out the answers to those questions then we're going to gain insight and wisdom and direction for our life. Anybody need direction in your life? Yeah, of course we all do, don't we? You're actually going to find direction for your life as you look at Jesus in this psalm. I know that's a big promise, but I think you will. Okay, Psalm chapter or Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? Why are the nations in an uproar? Why are they conspiring together and plotting? Now, when we see the words nations and we see the words peoples, we tend to think of uh, political nations. We tend to think of um, the political nations that exist in our world today. There are 194 political nations in our world today. But that word nations and that word peoples probably doesn't refer to political nations, but to ethnic nations. By that I mean to cultures that have the same, or or, let me put it this way, to tribes that have the same culture, the same language, the same history. We come up here and we go, hey, these are our people. This is our tribe. I mean, honestly, down in Charleston, where we live, I look around and I go, these are, you know, our people. Not our people, but our people. Same culture. Same history, for the most part, same language. Occasionally, we get mixed up. We were in Gatlinburg, and we went into the uh, a restaurant in Gatlinburg, and we came out to pay for it, and I got out my credit card and kind of ran it through the slot, and it didn't work. And the lady behind the counter looked at me and said, 
Mike can't tap. And I said, what? I said, what? She said, Mike can tap. I said, huh? And then that last word, tap, caught me. And I said, oh, she is saying, perhaps you can take the credit card and put it down by the machine and tap it. Well, I have to admit, it's a lot quicker to say Mike can tap. But anyway, I did that, and I thought to myself, well, this is, you know, kind of the, our people, but the language is a little mixed up sometimes down there, so. Anyway, when he says, why do the nations conspire, he's looking at all the ethnic tribes out there and says, how come these tribes are conspiring? Now, let's look at the next verse, and we'll see what they're conspiring about. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord, against God, and his anointed one, the king. So they're singing the song of the coronation, and they're saying, you need to be warned. The kings of the earth are conspiring against you. Look what they are conspiring. Verse 3, let us break their chains and throw off their fetters. So the nations of the world, the ethnic tribes of the world, are looking at the nation of Israel, and they're saying, we want to throw off their chains. Now remember, this is a song that they're singing as they are installing the king of Israel. Now, in response to that, God speaks, and he speaks to the nations. Verse 3, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Zion is Jerusalem. And he says to the nations, hey, I've got my king right where I want him. And then God stops, and he reflects, and he looks at his king, and he speaks directly to the king. Look at what he says, verse 7. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Now he's using these terms, son and father, terms of a familial relationship, and he's using them not because they are literally son and father uh, in, in the same way we think of son and father, but he's using them uh, to describe the nature of their relationship. I am the father and I am deeply committed to you, my king who is the son. So in a way, when the king of Israel became installed, he became the son of the father. These are terms that are built on uh, the Davidic covenant that God made with David. And it's almost as if he's saying, you are like a son to me now. As I interact with pastors at the retreat, I oftentimes will talk to them about um, their succession plans. And I say, do you guys have a succession plan for somebody who's going to take over when you're done? And sometimes they'll say, well, my son's going to take over. And there's an expression, though, that I've heard that a number of them use. They'll say... I have a son in the house. And by that phrase, they don't refer to a, their home. They're talking about the house as the church. And what they're saying is, there is a person in the church who's like a son to me who's going to take over. And the expression is, a son in the house. So they install the king, and the king is known as a son of the father. Verse 8, God says to the king, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Verse 9, you'll like this verse. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. I couldn't find an iron scepter, so I thought a 16-pound sledgehammer ought to do. See, what God is saying to the king is, you are going to rule the nations of the world. They are rebelling 
They are arrogant. They are in some sense evil right now. But you, O king, are going to rule the world. Tough words, I know. Look at what he says. He now refers to the kings themselves. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. Kiss his ring. Come up and kiss him on the cheek. Submit to the son. Lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath will flare up like a moment and blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now these words might sound bold and bodacious, but remember, this is the coronation of the king of Israel. And he's being exalted. Now, it's got about a thousand years. Jesus comes along. He lives, does miracles. He dies. He's raised up to the Father. The Apostle Paul goes out and he begins to spread the message of Christ and he goes into Turkey and he encounters a group of Jews. And he says to the Jews, there is very good news, Acts chapter 13, verse 32. There is very good news. What God has promised our fathers, he has fulfilled when he raised Jesus from the dead. He has fulfilled a promise when he raised Jesus. Now, what is that promise? Look at the next verse. As is written in the what? Second Psalm. You are my son. Today I have become your father. What Paul is saying is this, is that Jesus is that king. The Israelites looked upon the king of Israel as the leader, as the one who would one day rule the earth, but the true king, the real king, the ultimate king, the final king, well, that's Jesus. Now, if you think about it, this was kind of understood from the beginning When Jesus was about to be born, an angel came and said, he will be great and he will be the what? Son, catch that word, of the Most High. And he will rule over the throne of his father David. When Jesus was baptized, he said, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. When Jesus did the miracles, calming the water, multiplying the fish, he's like, whoa, this guy is ultimately cool and God or something. When Jesus was raised from the grave and ascended up to the Father, he sat down at the right hand of the Father and he got a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord at the end of the book when things are just getting kind of cleaned up the writer John looks at Jesus and says he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings 
But all that kind of raises a problem for us. If Jesus is really king, who's going to ultimately defeat evil, it ought to stop and make us think. You heard about what happened to the CEO family this week. I think we have a picture of the CEO family here. There we go. So let me explain the relationship just because it's a little confusing. You know Wendell and Marianne Fole, right? Everybody know Wendell and Marianne? They have a child named Joey, and Joey is married to Michaela Seal. Michaela's one of ten. She had an older brother, David. That's David, her older brother. And she had an older sister as well. David and his wife and their three children took an RV, and they decided to go out to Montana to visit the sister who was out there in Montana. The sister had an ex-boyfriend who had a grudge, and... Um, I know more details than I'm going to tell you because they're so horrific, but he ultimately killed. This ex-boyfriend who had a grudge ultimately killed the father and the youngest child. The sister they went to visit is in intensive care. The wife is, uh, she's going to live. She'll get out of the hospital soon. But if he's king, right, if he's the sledgehammer, if he has the capacity to stop evil, all evil, anytime he wants to, you have to say, What are you doing? Like, like if he is king and he has a capacity to stop evil anytime he desires to stop evil, what is he doing? It's not just why don't you, but what are you doing in the meantime? I mean, what is a king if a king doesn't do something that he should be doing? I mean, we call him King Jesus, but sometimes I'm not sure what that actually means to us other than somebody to help us find a parking spot. And what does it mean that he's king? And what in the world is he doing if he's not crushing evil? The ultimate answer to that question probably ought to be found in the words of Jesus himself. Like, what did Jesus say he was going to do? In Matthew chapter 16... Jesus is talking about the future, and he puts it this way. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to build my church. Now, the word church there doesn't refer to this building, although I love this building. That's not what he's referencing. The word church there refers to his people. I'm going to build my people. That's what I'm going to be about. Right when he got ready to leave, Jesus kind of reiterated that and explained it a little bit and told us how he was going to do that. He, he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That sounds like a king, doesn't it? Like, I'm the king. And all authority has been given to me. And therefore, since I have all authority, I want you, you, and you, and me, to go and make disciples. And there's that little phrase again, of what? Of all the nations. Did I tell you how many nations there are? Did I mention that already? 
There are 194 political nations, but remember that word nations here doesn't refer to a political nation, it refers to an ethnic nation. Do you know how many ethnic nations there are in this world? Somebody has actually counted them. There are 17,446 tribes in our world. And Jesus says, I want you to make disciples in every single tribe. 17,446. So what's Jesus doing? Well, look at what he says. And by the way, I'm going to be with you. Not just hanging out drinking soda. I'm going to be with you to help you, to empower you, to guide you, to direct you, to make your life work. When you're doing what I called you to do. When you're making disciples. I'm going to be there. 17,446 tribes. Now before I head down this road a little bit further, some of you are probably thinking... Um, Doug, why would we want to interrupt another culture with Christianity? I mean, they're fine. They're doing fine. And I, I get the sentiment. And, and so I raise the question, why? <sighs> you saw the SEAL family there. You may not have looked at everybody, but there was a five-year-old boy who survived. When the attack happened, the five-year-old boy took his little brother and ran into the woods When mom, who's going to make it, woke up in the hospital bed, the five-year-old boy was there. And uh, the little guy comes in and he says, mom, dad's in heaven. And there are now three of us. And we're going to be okay. <laughs> five-year-old kid. We're going to be okay. You see, because the SEALs had taught their children well, this little five-year-old has hope and he has confidence and he has security. He has something he can rest on. And friends, what we want for the rest of the world is hope and confidence and security because it's a little bit nutty out there. Have you noticed that? And in all this craziness, what we want for everybody is a little bit of hope and a little bit of confidence and a little bit of security. And nobody makes the same offer that King Jesus makes. Nobody in the whole world. So yeah, we want 17,446 people, tribes, nations to know Christ. After the attack happened, the father of the 10 children, John Seal, put a little word of encouragement on YouTube. And I want you just to watch this. Look what he asked for. Watch this. My name is John Seal, and on behalf of my entire family, entire Seal family, um, I'd like to make this statement. I'd like to thank everyone who has so graciously surrounded us, reached out, and helped us through this difficult time. And as I've talked to each of my children, we have a very large family, I've said to them, Grieve, be sad, but, but don't harbor anger uh, about what has happened. Because what we have seen is actually the result of somebody who has harbored anger in his own life and allowed it to 
investor and allowed it to, to, to grow and develop into something uh, uh, very terrible uh, and unspeakable. And in light of that, I'd like everybody to think about the words that are very familiar to us uh, from the Lord's Prayer. And it starts out, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, and further down, there's some words that I'd like you to think about, which is, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And certainly, the Seal family has had terrible trespasses committed against us. Uh, but our goal uh, is to forgive. Uh, and God has told us, uh, as we forgive those, uh, he will forgive us. And I'd like to close by saying, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the Father, yeah. See, what I'm saying to you is, who offers forgiveness and encourages followers to offer forgiveness like Jesus we tend to think every culture in the world encourages forgiveness. It's only the Jesus culture, really, that says, no, you must forgive your enemies who hurt you. That's why we want 17,446 nations to come to understand who Christ is, because forgiving is a far better way of living than revenge. So, as I said, there are 17,446 nations in the world, ethnic groups in the world, about two-thirds of them have a viable church community within them. The incredible thing that's happened in the past 20, 30 years is there is a level of cooperation that you and I don't really understand because it takes place at a very high level between denominations and churches and agencies. And every one of these nations, except about 100 of them, every one of these nations has some group of people that's, that's praying for them, that's serving them, that's looking, to, that's looking to share the incredible news of the king with them. Every one of these nations, except for about 100, we've made incredible progress. It's an unbelievable thing. There are 3 million people in one group that simply, that simply pray for Muslims. They pray particularly in, in Ramadan, because Ramadan is a time when Muslims concentrate and they ask God for visions and, mish, and things like that. And they've been praying that Jesus would show up in their visions. And 80% of the Muslims who've ever become Christians have become Christians in the last 20 years. Because... People are stepping up and saying, I want to be a part of what the king is doing, because the king is doing something. There are 7,000 languages in the world. About 4,000 of them have scriptures in them. In the next five years, they plan on beginning work on every single language in the world so that everybody can hear about the good news of the king in their native language. There was a film that was put out uh, back in 1979 called The Jesus Film. Maybe some of you remember seeing it. It was just an old film about Jesus. It was about the Gospel of Luke. Well, they took that film and they've translated it into over 2,000 languages. And I have an app on my phone here and I can, I can go to this app and I can click on it and I can go to Ethiopia and Ethiopia has 50 languages in it. One of them is Americ and I can click on Americ and I can hear... Uh, the part of the Gospel of Luke along with a movie in America. Let's see if it comes up here. Yeah, can you guys see this all right? Is, is that better? 
Oh, let me turn it up. America, guys, catch that. It's crazy. No, I mean, it's, it's literally crazy. That's something like 90% of the people in the world can already catch the, the gospel of Luke on film in their own language. And the people who are working on this app are pretty crazy cool. And what they're doing is they're creating it so that you can actually pass this film from one phone to another. The internet in many places is intermittent. It's very expensive. And in some places they actually monitor what you download. And so you can actually pass this film from my phone to your phone in, in certain parts of the world with the, with the right app. Isn't that crazy? And in the past year, 2020, 30 million people indicated, 30 million people said after watching some part of the film, I am becoming a Christian today. 30 million people. That's one a second. So, yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is that's what the king is doing. And if you want to be connected to the king, then do what he does. I have a friend here um, who uh, I met recently. He's, uh, he was a 20-year veteran in the army, and he recently got out of the army. He was not a believer. He's, he's, uh, he's been abused horribly throughout his whole life. He's the big guy in the back with uh, the bald head and the beard. And um, he was out jogging after he got out of the army, and somehow Jesus showed up to him, and literally he fell down to his knees, and he said, okay, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want me to. And... <laughs> And this guy goes to five different countries. He goes to Nepal, he goes to Haiti, he goes to Honduras, he goes to South Africa and one other country. He spends two weeks a year there and he teaches people how to weld. And then he leaves them the right equipment so they can set up their own welding business. He just got back from Haiti. He shares Christ as he teaches people how to weld. He taught 10 people in Nepal. Those 10 people multiplied. Now 80 people have jobs in Nepal welding because he bothered to go to Nepal to teach them how to weld. That's what King Jesus is doing. You say, well, Doug, that's over the world. Hey, I have a friend in Alabama who started a church in a little city down south in Alabama, and God said to him, I want you to go into the heart of the city. I want you to start it in the heart of the city. So he moved into the heart of the city, and he started this church with homeless people and a whole bunch of other people uh, that basically the whole culture had kind of rejected. He says, I'm starting a church for, for people that have been rejected by our culture, and so he just accepts them into this church and there's a businessman in town who is an atheist who had a $10 million convention center who said to this guy who's starting a church, what you're doing is so significant, I want to be involved in it. He says, I will give you this $10 million convention center to you for $4 million, and I'm going to give you a radio station. And my friend is going, can you believe it? That's what King Jesus is doing. You say, well, that's like Alabama, you know, red state. Of course he's doing that there. This is a blue state. Yeah. I think Jesus can work in blue states. <laughs> what do you think? 
One of our Sunday school teachers, one of our children's workers out there, she came up to me and said, Doug, you can't believe what happened. Uh, she said, I love I loved teaching children so much. She said, the other week I was teaching, and uh, I said to one of the kids, I said, do you know what a disciple is? And, and she said, a disciple is a follower of Jesus, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and you can be a follower of Jesus. And she said, the next week the kids came back, and she said, do you know what a follower of Jesus is? And a little boy in the front said, I'm, she said, I know what a follower of Jesus, or I know what a disciple is. A disciple is a follower of Jesus, and... Um, and you're a disciple, and I'm a disciple, and my mommy and daddy, they're disciples too. That's what Jesus is doing. Talking to another friend this week, and we had breakfast, and he said, Doug, um, this, this, this stuff has just been crazy that's going on around us. This, it's just been crazy. But what I discover is that people are hungry. They're either going into their faith or they're running away. And he said, so many of my friends are running into their faith. They are, they are chasing harder after Christ. They're saying to themselves, I have got to get serious. Because it's kind of a nutty world out there. And that's what Jesus is doing. Speaking of nutty, Miriam Eck buys somebody a house, right? You guys, you have to hear the story from Miriam. She buys, she buys a, a family in her school a house, a, a mother with six, seven kids or six? Seven? Seven kids, a house, a house. You buy some a house. <laughs> so let me close with two questions. Do you believe that, king, that Jesus is king? Do you believe that Jesus is king? I mean, it's okay if you don't. But let's be real clear. That's what he claims to be. He claims to be king of kings and lord of lords who will one day eliminate evil and be seen universally. And every tongue, every tongue, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's lord. Do you believe that? Now, if you don't, I get it. That's cool. I mean, that's where you're coming from. I just want you to know that's his claim. He, he, he didn't claim to be just a nice guy. He didn't claim just to be a good teacher. He claims to be king. So do you believe that? Have you looked into it? Can you talk to somebody? Would you read about it? Would you open your heart to it? Second thought I have is this. If you believe he is king, have you committed your life to his mission? Doesn't matter what you and I think he should be doing. Doesn't matter if you and I think he ought to stop those kinds of horrible things that just happened in Montana. It really doesn't matter what we think. Fact is, he's king, and he's told us what he is about. And so, have you committed your life to his mission? Have you said to God, God, I want my life to be used by you? I want you to work through me. I want you to do the good things you do as king through me. Isn't that a good idea? So if you said, that's what I want for me. I know there's been a lot of distractions. I know there's a lot going on. I know that some of you are just peeking your head out in foxhole. But life's tough out there. 
So can you crawl out of the foxhole and say, I want my life to matter for eternity. I want to follow Christ. Just open your heart to it. In your home, in your community, in the church, in Syracuse, in the world. Oh, would you pray with me? Father God, you are this incredible Father who loves us. And just as you declared Jesus to be your son, the king, we get to be your children as well. And so give us the courage to enthusiastically jump on board, to allow you to use us, to work through us, to change us, to change people through us. Help us to see your might and your kingship. Help us to demand not that you do what we want you to, but that we do what you call us to. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we say thanks to Doug this morning? As we respond this morning, would you stand to your feet if you're able? I took lots of, lots of notes. Um, really encouraged by what Doug shared this morning, so thank you. But I'm also just very encouraged to hear about how Jesus is at work and growing his kingdom. And as I thought about what you said and 30 million people coming to faith, my reaction was, that's crazy. In fact, I said it audibly. And the next thought that popped into my mind was, well, that's not crazy, that's God. That's God. And we're about to sing one more song that says, you do miracles, the impossible. And so what is the impossible in your life this morning? What is that thing that you would say will never happen? You know, just the thing that maybe you're trying to, to manifest change in your life. And as we sing this last song, would you just give it to him and say, God, I'm, I'm handing this over to you because I believe as the one who sits on the throne, the King of Kings, that through you, you can do miraculous works. You can change people's lives. You can change the nations. Let's sing together.